Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Welcome to Syrocast episode 31. I am very excited to be joined by special guest Ben Class, live from Ottawa. Uh, ben is a graduate student at the University of Carleton. He is also a telecom analyst and the winner of uh, the CRTC's version of The Price is Right. Uh, we will get to that in just a moment. But as always, I'm joined by Douglas Soltis, my, uh, my, my, left, my left-hand man, my right-hand man. My yes. uptown funk. Always left-handed, never sinister. Uh, we are without Jane, who is on vacation, uh, but uh, we are in good company nonetheless. Uh, well, I want to welcome Ben. How are you doing, man? Pretty well. How about you? I'm great. We had some audio problems last week. I'm like my. If you're watching the video feed, I'm like bathed in sunlight right now, so I look kind of uh, cherubic. Cherubic. Um, but I, but I assure you, I'm an Cherubs old man. Cherubs don't have beards, man. I, that's what I said. I'm an old man, nonetheless. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna sort of talk. Uh, we're gonna continue our conversation that we that we started last week with um, with the CRTC's decision uh, to, I guess, force Bell not to charge by the hour and charge by the megabyte. And this is sort of a victory be- uh, for Ben personally because he. Uh, was the one who filed the complaint with the CRTC back in uh, late 2013. Uh, so, in your own words, Ben, tell me about um, why you're such a terrible person. Why, why, do, why should the Canadian people uh, not be able to watch um, five hours of Bell TV for free? Uh, oh well, I, I am a terrible person. You know, I have this this obsession with the idea that uh, our communications system ought to be sort of um, democratic and subject to fair treatment and uh, you know when, when I noticed what Bell was doing with their mobile TV thing I thought well that, that that's just not on just not on you know so tell me what was Bell doing what was the I mean basically they were charging uh, their own mobile TV service in in a different way than than say a traditional over-the-top service like Netflix right yeah, I mean, the basic gist of it is that uh, for Bell content, uh, you get it outside the data cap, and for everything else you do on the Internet, uh, it's limited. You know, I think the average Bell customer is using something like one and a half gigs. Is that yeah. what uh, George Cope said in the um, conference call the other day? Man, you spoiler alert. That, that you, like, stole that from me. I was going to say that later in the show. Okay, it was. Uh, I think I, I got it from one of your tweets, probably, actually. Damn so, right um, you did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, damn right I did. But uh, I mean, I mean, the the basic issue here is that Bell's uh, Bell's using its pricing uh, of certain different services to, um, you know, uh, limit what you can do on the internet and to encourage people to watch TV. And for me, the great promise of the internet is being able to choose what you can do with it. Okay, so the typical type of net neutrality things you hear about are throttling fast lanes and slow lanes. And in this particular case, we've got a, a system of preferential pricing. 
So if the problem, could the problem go away if Bell was just more lenient on their monthly data caps? If, say, I mean, would you have had a problem with it if the Canadian carriers charged $20 for 20 gigs as opposed to $20 for 200 megs? Or is this a matter of uh, any differential or preferential um, pricing is, is wrong? Well, I think that there's two. No, the, it's discriminatory and preferential pricing. Like when you hear the word discrimination, you're like uh, thinking um, of all types of nasty things, right? But in price discrimination, is just something that takes place on a, a regular basis. Okay, um, charging different prices for different amounts of data is one form of price discrimination, and uh, it's, I, I think, generally pretty well accepted, but when you start applying discrimination to content based on who owns it, um, then you get this problem of editorial control and people making choices about what you can and can't see on the service, right? So um, if Bell just made the data caps more generous, well, I think absolutely they should do that. The fact that they're offering so much mobile TV for five bucks shows that they you know, quite clearly could be doing this, but are choosing not to. Um, but if they are going to do that, then I think it needs to, to apply equally to uh, to whatever service people choose to use. So, I mean, I, I guess the question that I've heard a lot is, um, and, and this is sort of Bell's tagline in the whole thing, is they are promoting Canadian content. They have a mandate to do so from the CRTC. Mobile TV is a, is a nascent uh, business, and they have to build it up somehow. They have um, they have a bunch of uh, you know of their own content that uh, they're basically giving away as as a as a freebie to their own uh, to their own customers. Um, when when they come back and say you know we're just doing what you guys told us to do by promoting Canadian content and making it more freely available, uh, Doug's shaking his head like no that's that's BS. Yeah, Zach Morris, time out. You know you know what's um, mobile TV might be nascent. You know what's not nascent? Uh, mobile watching video content, which is the same as as like applying a TV model to to mobile doesn't work because everyone on a mobile device sees it as an internet device and just wants act access to whatever content that they enjoy. Uh, the majority of which is now multimedia content. Like the the amount of video that YouTube pushes a month on mobile is, like, astronomical in terms of, like, hours and, and people. Um, so, like, watching people, like, watching the movies on, uh, on mobile is not nascent at all. Uh, I think that's, that's a really good point, uh, Doug. And, you know, actually, Bell has been offering, uh, Bell and Rogers, I think at one point, Telesource as well, have been offering this type of a service since 2005. Uh, you know, previously it would have been small pixelated screens like a, a, on a Palm device, Palm's Trio, or I think, uh, you know, Symbian phones, the early Blackberries. But um, it, isn't, it isn't nascent. And one of the arguments that Bell made throughout the proceeding uh, was that this is just like cable TV. And when you look at cable TV compared to Internet use, we don't compare the data caps between those two. You have unlimited cable TV viewing. You have limited Internet use. That was one of Bell's main arguments, right? They really said the law doesn't apply. This is, a, you know, there's a loophole in the law basically that says that you you can't you can't stop us from doing this. That was really their main argument. And look at cable TV. And I think you make a really important, uh, sort of important 
point here is that when people are using their mobile phones, they're, you know, they want to view what they want to view. Uh, you want to be able to download what type of app you want to download. It's not cable TV. And to me, to sort of start to impose a cable TV system on the mobile phone is like a retrograde, a retrograde move. Yeah. So can we go back to the because I think the way that you summarize it in terms of editorial control is is really nice. Um, I think when we were talking about it last week, we were very much seeing it in terms of a just a the way I was constructing it was as a conflict of interest where you have you know uh, the propagator of the infrastructure also controlling content distribution mm-hmm. and then also being the front end uh, like phone provider as well um, with with you know. To step away from the finer points, like Daniel was saying, like, well, what if the what if the data plans were different or structured differently, or there are loopholes in the laws? Is this like a, an opportunity to step back and say, fundamentally, the the way that we're approaching content uh, or the internet <laughs> delivery needs to be structured in a different way so it doesn't retrograde to a cable model? Because because cable didn't exist before. Um, you know, Shaw and and Rogers came in to like provide that to the masses. That was delivered with them. The internet was in existence, propagated, developed its own identity and its own relationship to media and 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 consumers well before the major players kind of look, sought to dictate dictate that relationship specifically with mobile. So, how how do we break? How do we take this entrenched kind of like media? information empire and like this 21st century model of consuming information on a, on a phone anywhere and make that work. So we're not talking about trees, but we're kind of seeing the forest. Well, I mean, I think that these, the, 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 the thing is vertical integration, right? They call it convergence in telecoms and broadcasting. Well, convergence can be stretched out to mean anything you want. But um, there's always been a relationship between content ownership and telecoms. You know, so I think the fact that people are watching video on phones these days, uh, or watching it on a computer screen, and so on, uh, is not the biggest necessarily the biggest change that's taken place here. Um, it's in the past couple of years we've seen a corporate uh, convergence, right? Bell, Spa, CTV, Shaw Global, uh, Rogers to a lesser extent. You know, there's uh, what is it? Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment, share between Bell and Rogers. Well, they also yeah. bought the score straight up, right? Right. So, I mean, that's vertical integration along uh, along a sort of a different uh, different branch of the tree. Mm-hmm. But you've got these big conglomerates, and uh, and I think that when you when they start combining these these two things together, there there becomes an incentive for them to promote uh, their own particular content, and as well as content that fits within a particular within a system. You know, Bell points out that it's like about about a quarter of the channels. That they own in this mobile TV service belong to Bell, and the rest are Rogers, Shaw, and so on. Mm-hmm. So, are they promoting Canadian content? Uh, I mean, for the most part, I think yes, they are promoting people to watch Canadian content, but it's content that they've chosen. And I think the discussion we need to be having is who choose? You know, who do we want choosing uh, what we see and how we use our communication services? That's the big issue here. And do do CanCon rules even apply in an age of like unlimited distribution of content? Well, I mean that was the argument uh, that uh, that 
what's it called? Netflix um, gave it the Let's Talk TV hearings, right? Uh, a lot of it had to do with you know whether or not Bell should yeah. be or with whether Netflix should be required to to host Canadian content yeah. um, if they're going to be subject to you know Canadian regulatory rules. Yeah, and then and then like I think Netflix made such a strong argument of this is the internet, duh, that the CRTC just kind of removed their testimony from the proceedings, right? Like it was it was almost a recognized I I think it was possibly a little bit due to embarrassment, but also recognized move that like what Netflix is doing falls outside of the initial conception of what protecting Canadian content is in in a way that like realistically applies to something like the CVC but not not to these these over the top internet service providers which is just a la carte present content to people. Well, I think that the thing that they're worried about is that the Canadian I think absolutely the state should be promoting cultural production in Canada. But the system that they've got for doing it right now um, has a lot of really bizarre consequences. Uh, and I think a lot of it's based on the fact that Canadian content is propped up. You know, there are lots of things, National Film Board, at the end of lots of TV shows, you see this was supported by Government of Quebec is a big one you see, or filmed in the city of Toronto and so on and so forth, right? So there's lots of sort of subsidies that go towards cultural production. But uh, a, big, a big part of it, I think, is that the distribution is taxed to pr uh, produce content, right? This is the, the Canadian content, the contribution regime, and there's a Canadian media fund and so on. Uh, and so the revenue from distribution, from cable, is so great, it, they take a chunk of it and it funds the Canadian content. So it, you've got, like, a, a, an industry that's more or less addicted to a cable system, right? And the problem that you get is... is Sorry, but like yeah, to a certain extent, it's not even funding Canadian content. It's it's funding the uh, creation of content in Canada <laughs> yeah. because uh, the yeah, Canadian okay. regulations enough, yeah. make it so that all this American, like you know, just the other day, the the new Beauty and the Beast CW show launched, and it was filmed in Toronto, uh, right down the street from me. I actually happened to walk into uh, <laughs> one of one of their shots accidentally like two months ago. That's not. Yeah, like the lead actress is from BC, I think, but that's not Canadian content. Uh, but they're getting all of the tax breaks or the or the funding towards it. So I think that's different, right? I, I don't think that that kind of show, because it's owned by an American network, would that cover? No, no, no. Because so the way, like, just in terms of the way that CanCon happens, is like there's a series of points that you have. So if it's uh, where it's filmed, if you have a lead actor or actress being Canadian. Uh, director or producer, all these things. It doesn't matter who the initial network is. And in fact, if you go to a lot of like watching the credits of a lot of films produced, you'll see that uh, a lot of times, without even knowing, it's like it's like a joint uh, uh, film board of Canada and like film board of Ireland relationship. Right. Those are those are all done for the tax breaks. It doesn't have to be like the network doesn't. It's it's not the pure deciding factor. There's if if they can check off enough of the boxes, which is you know why filming happens here, in addition to the the cheaper wage labor, it's 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 a huge it's a huge revenue kickback for them. But you see, they can't get this money from the internet because of a two thousand and twelve Supreme Court decision that said uh, the trans transmission of signals by a, a Canadian carrier is not broadcasting itself. So with the things like Netflix, uh, what they're worried about is a 
um, the cable revenue, like charging for cable TV and charging for internet service is kind of like double dipping, mm -hmm. if you think about it. You know, they're providing you with content and carriage for the cable and carriage. So the more things move onto the internet, more people will be able to access these types of programs without contributing to the specific regulatory regime that's been set up to fund the Amazing Race Canada and American Idol Canada, you know. <laughs> Uh, a couple Dragons yeah. Dens, new Dragons Den just launched. So there, there you go. Yeah, you know, I think that's that's a big part of why this, uh, Netflix um, is threat is really sort of threatening these companies, and they show up before the CRTC, and it's just a, it's a big mess. You know, nobody knows what to do. They're talking about is this company even actually legally under the jurisdiction of the Broadcasting Act or or not? So Ben, what happens in ten years from now? Um, you know, the cable infrastructure is not going anywhere, and I think, you know, the the highest the, the ratings from the Super Bowl, the highest televised television uh, show ever, um, in, in last Sunday, uh, is evidence that at least the the need for broadcast television or the the demand for uh, that kind of viewing is not going anywhere. But what happens when the majority of millennials don't have a cable package anymore? When they become parents and instead of buying their kids, um, you know, access to Rogers or Bell TV, they're just showing all of. And I, I have friends like this now who have kids, who instead of buying, uh, you know, television packages for their kids to watch Teletubbies on CBC in the morning, they're just using Netflix to do that. And um, you know, what happens in ten years where? Uh, if if the regulatory system is in place where over-the-air um, signals are still freely available for the core channels and the, the rest of the content is fairly accessible on the internet, um, do people stop buying into that cable infrastructure? And, and do they, you know, what, what, what does Bell and what do Rogers do to sort of save their asses in, in, in that regard? Well, I think Bell and Rogers are in slightly different situations, and I'll take Sh let's take Shaw as an example, actually, um, because what happens when people stop paying for cable? They're not going to stop watching. Uh, tele let's call it television programming. You know, video content. I guess is a better way of putting it, because television mm -hmm. comes with all these strings attached. You're not going to get everyone in the country setting up a rabbit rabbit ear on their uh, on their house. I often ask the students, um, who in here has a cable TV subscription? And you know, you occasionally get one person raising their hand talking about I'm a diehard hockey fan or something, right? Uh, everybody raises their hand when they when you ask who has the internet. Everybody. So, so yeah. you see companies like Shaw who started their business off as cable losing subscribers, losing subscribers, talking about oh my goodness, the sky is falling. How are we ever going to make up a revenue? Raising the rates on their internet. Right? Yeah. It's a common cost base. Their broadcast, the bro when you look at these financial reports, what you see is that the cable TV operation and the internet operation is the same company. They don't report the numbers separately. It can actually be really frustrating because some of the companies don't even report the difference between subscribers of their TV service or revenues from the TV service and revenues from the ISP service in their financial reports. Yeah. Right? Um, so if they, see, they want to see them as multiple touch point customers, right? They don't want to just see them as 
one customer they want to see them as, and and for good reason too. When you're when you're trying to profile out the Canadian populace in terms of how you approach to sell them services, you you're trying to plug them in as many as possible. For sure, and it's I mean it's 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 all about ARPU for these for these guys. They want to show that the number is going up, and so if you get someone buying a cable service and an internet service at the same time, it's more revenue. Mm-hmm. So they worry. Shaw worries that people are dropping out of the cable system. They're losing. Shaw's lost a fair amount of cable TV subscribers. They're making up for it on the internet side, but internet, I think, right now, as it stands, is quite a bit cheaper than cable. Right. So well, they're, they're, that's how they. I mean, the 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 caps are what they they use to differentiate that. So you know, I'm looking at the Rogers um, internet packages right now. Yes, the core internet package you can get. I mean, the cheapest Rogers internet package in Ontario is $55 a month, and that's for 10 megabits down, 1 megabit up, and 25 gigabytes of data. Um, and that's really not that... That's not cheap. I wouldn't call that cheap at all, actually. I'd, I'd call that no, very no. expensive. Um, I think the more realistic one is the $73 a month package, which gives you 60 megabits down, 10 megabits up, and 120 gigabytes of data. Which is probably um, the one that they actually want you to buy. But, yeah. so no, but going back, so Daniel, to answer your question... The, in terms of the ten-year protectionism, they've already done it. They bought the sports channels, which is the one thing that you know the the mass populace will re, re, like will purchase for access to in in whatever format it's offered. Uh, and then they bought the sports teams to prevent those teams from creating their own content channels, their own Netflix of sports, similar to what has happened in the United States with uh, Brooklyn, the Knicks. Uh, what the the New England Sports Network becoming their own content channels. So they have to they uh, have to be partners with um, Sportsnet and TSN. Like that's that's what that's the ten year plan. They hold on to the thing that is appointment viewing still. Right, but those licenses expire, and so so when Bell Bell buys. Um, Daniel, they own the sports teams. It doesn't it doesn't matter with, if the license to broadcast NHL, NBA, or whatever. They own, they own, they own the teams and they own the sports channels. Sorry, no, I I, I know what you're saying in terms of like the Raptors and the Leafs. They're jointly owned by by Rogers and Bell. But when you're talking about the New England Patriots, and the Blue Jays and the Habs, right? Uh, sorry, I mean I'm talking specifically about say Bell licensing the NFL, mm-hmm. NFL's. You know, or, or Rogers buying the rights to the NHL for 12 years, right? These are ex- these are packages that expire. That eventually, if uh, the demand is high enough, Bell or Shaw or both of them are going to come together in 12 years and say, "We don't want Rogers to get this back. They made a ton of money from this. We're going to up the bid to 12 billion or whatever." Um, you know, that's what these that's what the the NHL wants. Yeah, but Daniel, um, the but that's as long as one of the Cable providers has it. The NH- like the NHL is happy to do that. the The thing that would really scare them is if they went and said the NHL was like, "We're just going to do this ourselves and broadcast it," which they wouldn't do because then they have to become a media entity and a and a, and a broadcaster, and they wouldn't make as much money as just signing a, a big um, dis- distribution package with one of these cable carriers. Sorry, or they, who is uh, who is who? Game the game center service for NHL is this is just a, 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 basically an add-on because I know NHL was doing that themselves previously, right? Yes. Well, they do in the U.S. They 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 have their own distribution rights in the U.S. It's just that in Canada they partnered with Rogers 
to avoid having to build that infrastructure, as far as I know. Yeah, but, but so, so I guess what I'm saying is this the this structure, no matter who wins the, the bid for the content, which can go back and forth every five or ten years, things won't change until someone like the NHL or, say, the NBA says, we're going to partner with someone like Netflix that everyone can access purely through the Internet to get this, where you don't need to be tied into a cable box. That's the only way it would change, and that's not going to happen until someone like a Netflix or another just uh, digital-only service provider can offer up the billions of dollars to own the rights. And even then, it's unlikely to happen because the, the cable providers own the teams. <laughs> like, they have uh, an access point into uh, the league voting, which decides who, who wins the bid. Like... So, That's... yeah, I mean, and I don't think it's as concentrated in the U.S. as it is in in Canada. I think it's it's an extraordinary fact that the broadcasters, the vertically integrated companies that own the distribution and the content, also own the teams themselves. The ver- uh, Canada, uh, you know, uh, the media concentration research project I work for here, at Carleton. Um, has got a lot of data on this, and I think by most measures you can say it's safe to say that Canada's vertical integration, the extent of vertical integration in this particular country is greater than virtually anywhere else. Uh, the States is, uh, States has a pretty concentrated media market, but it's it's nowhere near what we have and nowhere near the vertical integration either. From bottom to top, like you're talking about sports teams being owned by the same company who owns the broadcaster, by the same company who owns the cable TV company, right? Same company who, uh, oh, I don't know, sells you hockey sticks, probably. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, going back to the Game Center product in the U.S., I think that is owned by the NHL. I think that they control the distribution rights. They own the the content. Um, and I think that Rogers paid so much money, not just for the distribution rights, but so that they could own the piece of the stack um, that is so important to them. They own the content in Canada, so they set the blackout rules. Um, you know the the fact that they're using it the same way that they're using Show Me, right, as a yeah. as a value add to their core cable package. So well, they as a value add, but then also a lock into the core cable package. Right? Yeah, I think that's important because uh, let me do my best impression of Kevin O'Leary here. Okay, go, uh, go for it. I think content providers and distributors getting together is insane. I mean, it's just crazy, man. What are these people thinking, you know, as a shareholder, as an investor? Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I'm not a shareholder uh, or an investor, but um, they're doing more work here. $5.2 billion coming out of Rogers' pocket, going into the NHL pocket, right? Um, well, And that's over 12 years, right? So, I don't know, $200 million a year, something like that. No, it's way more than that. Not chump change. On the fly math skills here, not so good. But in any case, the margin for providing connectivity and um, content is much lower than it is for just providing the connectivity. Okay, so they're doing a whole bunch of work and they're spending a whole bunch of money. And the thing is, is that it's uncertain. The, the, The demand for connectivity, plain and simple, in 10 years, I think it's very safe to say that it's going to be greater than it is right now. Okay, nobody's. I don't think anyone's going to argue with that. Advertising, however, right, and advertising-supported media like hockey uh, is subject to every passing wind. 
in an unstable globalized market or however you want to call it, right? So Roger's betting on hockey. I mean, if there is something you're going to bet on, that's, yes. I mean, that's going to be it. But to it's, me, it's, I think... It's more stable than the Canadian currency is interested in hockey. Right, at this, at this, at this particular moment. But, I, it's I like mean, that maple syrup speculation, <laughs> which is actually a thing, which I learned and blows my mind. But, um, okay, so then can we talk about... Because uh, Daniel and I also went back and forth on the idea of, say, a company like Rogers being... Because Rogers' results weren't as spectacular as Bell's in the sense where they uh, are making more money per customer but uh, still bleeding customers. Um, is it possible for a service provider, despite the multi multitude of services, to be uh, a high-end high-end provider in the way that, say, an Apple is a high-end consumer electronics provider. Because that's what they're trying to do, right? They're trying to stick to what they see as uh, value-added services and we see as lock-in, as a way to be more than a, a dump pipe utility. But the volatility of that is circumspect compared to Apple being able to produce you know, quality builds, quality components, um, you know, the physical value of holding, like, a well-built thing in your hand. Like, what's a well what's the what's the value of a well-built service? A well-built well, network, not a service. Rogers doesn't provide a service. They they provide a network, and they build services on top of those network, of that network. I mean, that's what a, that's what a, I mean, that's really what the Title II stuff in the U.S. is all about, right? It's differentiating between the companies that provide, that build the infrastructure and the companies that build on top of the infrastructure. But Daniel, no, every, everybody goes and buys an Apple product because they want the phone, they want the tablet, they want the watch. No one goes to Rogers to buy the network. But, but that, I, I, mean, I don't that's, think that's to, true. To be fair, that, that's what you're getting. I don't think the comparison between Apple, I mean, there's lots of problems in making these types of comparisons and metaphors, right? Yes. Um, these companies produce infrastructure. Uh, that's, that's what they do. So when someone goes to Rogers, uh, Rogers is reselling them a phone. And the Rogers is just an example because the business model is the same for all the companies. You know, They resell a phone. And they sell you access to infrastructure. It's like paying a toll to get on the highway. That's what you're getting from these companies. You know, mm -hmm. uh, And I think what, what they do, and I think the Canadian carriers... It's hard. It's. I mean, it's hard to say this with any degree of generality because it's different from place to place, right? Um, I have an MTS phone. I'm living in Ottawa right now, so I'm on Rogers, roaming on Rogers Network. I'm grandfathered on unlimited Canada data, so sixty bucks a month. You know, uh, eat your hearts out the rest of Canada, but um, <laughs> but it works. It works pretty good for me, and I've I've been consistently impressed with the data speed, the coverage, and so on. So for a mobile carrier, what they've got to do is provide a seamless seamless experience, right? It needs The coverage needs to be there uh, when you need it, and it needs to be fast enough to load web pages and so on. Peak period is the, is the key thing for wired infrastructure. Right. Um, I mean, that's not really an issue anymore. It used to be more so, but... I think the bandwidth is is there, and the the technology, the Doxis technology there, is is evolved enough that I don't think people have to worry about getting, you know, their speeds dropping to one or two megabits at peak times like it used to. Well, I think plenty of people are worried about that. You Where? Know, 
the this Shaw TPIA raise, one of the possible explanations for it is that they've been advertising prices that they just can't meet. Is that a is that a permanent thing, or is I mean, you're talking about? Um, I know that tech savvy and and their resellers were were unhappy with the price increase, but um, is it just that Shaw is not hasn't built up the infrastructure necessary in certain parts of Canada to sustain itself with a wholesale uh, with a wholesale um, package? Well, I mean, the network has to be built to peak use, you know, and that doesn't. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. It doesn't matter who your, who your customers are. You, the period of the day, you know, afternoon, there's there's a curve that shows it, right? Um, it's like a traffic jam. The 401 is it would be the best example. Yeah. You don't want to go. You don't want to have to go to the airport at uh, at five o'clock on a Friday. Yeah, and you watching know. watching uh, any streaming content at eleven o'clock at night is a giant pain. So I mean, so yeah, the question the question was. Um, what are, how, what are these networks providing, and how do they how do they do it well, right? And I think for the wired internet companies, they've got to produce networks that can handle peak traffic, and this becomes more important as people. I mean, it is it's not exactly appointment viewing to watch Netflix, but you're not watching it while you're at work, you know. So what happens then? And, and we go back to this this whole idea of the cable model being. Uh, not restricted, right? They don't charge you by the hour. They charge you a monthly fee, and you can watch as much or as little cable as you want. But with the reality of transitioning to wire to uh, cable or or wireless um, content viewing, um, all of these and most Canadians, I would guess, don't have unlimited internet at home. And um, if they do, they're, they're paying a premium. So what happens in ten years if these if these restrictions are still in place, and you know you're you're watching a hockey game on Game Center Live on Rogers, and it's a, it's two gigabytes per hour of of use, and you can only watch you know X number of those equivalent types of of, of pieces of content every month. People are going to do at home what they did, what they are doing on their mobile phones, which is restricting their usage because. The networks that are purporting to um, give you, and I, I'm just playing the devil's advocate because that's what yeah, I do. No but yeah. but the, the whole idea of of Bell's offering you five hours as opposed to um, a specific amount or giving you a, a, a database restriction was that they're they're not they, they don't want you to worry about going over your data usage, your bandwidth um, limitation, right? So 
uh, what happens when, when people have transitioned over to the same system in their homes and they don't have unlimited internet? I think there's a conversation that we really need to have. You know, uh, for most of the 20th century, local calling was by design unlimited. You know, there were discussions about introducing metered telephones for home use, charging by the minute, you know. But this, it doesn't fly. And I think it's because, you know, tell me if you disagree with this, but I think in the collective judgment of society, being able to express yourself and being able to communicate is something that shouldn't really be limited unless there's a, a, a really good reason to. Well, yeah, it's the difference between broadcast and access, right? Um, and I think people can understand, you know, the either the the pricing structure, the technical impositions on a on a broad, broadcast model. But we know that digital is a an access system. It's a by demand content engagement. But so by going to this, so in in having this conversation, and we've talked about how, how the the corporate bodies are dealing with this. I think we have to talk about then what role is the government playing in regulating this because they're the one that change. They're the, they're the ones that change the conditions on the field. And in the U.S., which is a, a model that we tend to follow or react to, there was the recent announcement that the, the FCC is going to approach the Internet as a utility, which mm -hmm. is amazing and will be fought to the, to the death by many of the traditional broadcast entities and embraced by many of the, the, the new 21st century digital agencies. How will that playing out affect how the CRTC approaches like that next 10 years of, of regulation? Well, it's, uh, uh, the United States is essentially bringing their system into line with what we've got in a watered-down form. Okay, so in Canada, there's never been any question that these companies are Canadian, uh, you know, common carriers, right? It's not, it's not exactly utility regulation what they're bringing in, uh, because they forbear, you know, they don't regulate the prices. They let competition handle that. But um, but basically what the United States is doing is they're they're bringing their system into line with us. But they're leaving out the uh, they're leaving out the aspect where companies like Tech Savvy or Electronic Box, the uh, the wholesalers, can have access. So they're not doing the unbundling. But I you know I, I don't, for all the problems we have with our internet service here. Uh, the people in, in the states, and I follow quite a lot of these folks on Twitter. On you know both sides of the political spectrum are talking about, oh no, you regulate this is going to be the end of the world, and so on and so forth. And I always chime in and say, we have the system in Canada. You know we've got pretty good internet. They've got data caps, but that's related to vertical integration. Um, have a look up here; it's not so bad. To which they respond, Canada. You know, and scratch their heads. <laughs> to which they respond, Canada. Yeah, it's America's hat, man. So, I mean, from what I hear in the U.S., a lot of people don't have data caps, or at least when they're on Comcast or uh, these cable providers, they generally get terrible service and their speeds are, are not as consistently high as they are here, but they don't usually have data caps built in. Um, they have higher data limits on their mobile devices in the U.S. for the same price or less. Uh, and this this sort of happened in the last couple of years where T-Mobile and Sprint have come in and undercut a lot of the incumbents and as a result uh, AT&T and Verizon have have uh, either decreased their their monthly plans or increased the data allotment associated with them and that that's sort of what 
you know, everybody on mobile syrup argues, you know, needs to happen in the wireless space, and they they look to MTS and SaskTel as examples of of companies that have forced the incumbents to lower their prices in in certain parts of Canada where there is quote unquote a viable fourth competitor, leaving out the fact that wind and mobilicity are not considered viable in in Ontario, BC, and Alberta because they really don't have the networks to challenge the incumbents. So, I mean, what do you say to that? Is there is there a prospect for that happening in Canada? If, I mean, even you know the 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 Canadian uh, cable internet rates are are not high are not low. They're they're high even with uh, wholesale regulation. Well, I think it, in my understanding, the Canadian approach has always been a little more restrained when it comes to competition than America. Um, I think you see this sort of. Do you follow uh, John Legere on Twitter? Oh yeah, right. Dude, hilarious. You don't get that kind of stuff up here, right? But um, but I think that for a long time the regulator's been sort of asleep at the switch on these types of things. I did a study just recently of decisions, uh, decisions, regulatory policies, and orders that the CRTC has made, um, going back to 2000 to do with wireline internet, telephone, and so on and so forth, and very few decisions, almost none in fact, having to do with wireless until the past two years. I think Blay has already made nearly as many decisions on wireless as Conrad did in his entire time. So the wireless system for Canada was, um, was basically deregulated from the start, and as it's become more important for people, not just business people, but ev virtually everyone you meet, um, you're having this sort of appeal to, uh, well, we need more competition, we need more fairness. Verizon never shows up. The competition thing is is seeming kind of weak, right? Um, so the CRTC, instead of just doing something like saying regulate the prices, they're currently considering how to regulate in order to promote competition, right? Uh, we've got this uh, in both the wireless and the wireline sectors. We've got these pending decisions. Uh, these hearings that went on last year, and I think the the general the general drift of what's going on in these things is that we need to act to create an institutional regulatory structure that promotes uh, independent companies, that promotes network sharing, infrastructure sharing, and they don't use these terms, right? They so to use what extent is that analysis. happening? Sorry. So what to what extent is that happening then? Well, all the all the major wireless carriers do some form of network sharing with each other. Right. Um, less so, less so on the wireline. I think the wireless wireline independent ISPs make up a very small, you know, it's less than ten percent amount of the national market share. Um, but I mean, we'll have to wait and see what the CRTC says, right? We've got Videotron talking about our our expansion and this spectrum we bought in other provinces is uh, subject to favorable rules from the CRTC. Um, Wind is about to reach a million customers. Uh, there's, you know, talks about a merger. I think it's it's entirely possible that with the right direction, um, we could see service improvements. Right, uh, wind in the original um, hearing that led to the big thing last year. You might remember in 2013 they had this uh, decision where they found roaming was discriminatory. Rogers had locked wind into exclusive contents and stuff. Wynn's basic argument was, this is compromising our fundamental business philosophy. We offer flat rates 
uh, for voice, flat rates for text, flat rates for internet. So sort of what we were talking about before, you know, the data cap, should people be able to communicate and so on. Um, the terms under which we're forced to negotiate with these companies, right, and all the companies do it in Manitoba, Rogers is uh, sharing with MTS, in Quebec with Videotron, they're sharing in northwestern Ontario, Thunder Bay, Bell and TELUS have built their whole network as a sharing thing, right? Mm -hmm. So um, in terms of this, the future of regulation and the future of, uh, of what's going on with these things, to be able to say to a company like Wind, um, okay, we're going to give you access to the resources that you need to expand this business because it, it's limited right now. Um, the regulator needs to make some hard choices, and Bell and Telus obviously aren't going to like it. But, uh, but I mean, I think that's that's what they can do, right, is try and set up a structural situation where competition can, can actually take hold. Do you think that uh, the argument that if they regulate domestic roaming rates, the company's revenue will drop uh, to such an extent that they'll be, quote-unquote, forced to stop developing or building infrastructure in rural areas? I mean, is that a, is that a, a red herring, or is that... Yeah, that's nonsense. The um, CRTC's monitoring report shows a graph uh, about where all the roaming revenues come from. It's all from the states. So the roaming rate, the roaming revenues that they that they get from companies like Wind, uh, MTS, Eastlink. I mean, these are all they stand to gain sub, 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 substantially from this. You know, previously Wind was saying no customers, you can't use, you can't. You know, it's a thousand bucks a gigabyte. That's what it was before. I mean, yeah. give me a, give me a break, right? Um, so if people weren't using it. The 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 revenue. I'm you know I have obviously the numbers are redacted when you go through these regulatory filings on things like that. But um, wind, with their, they've launched this ad campaign talk about our net go national or something like that, right? And they've got the grizzly bear and all this. Uh, use, your, use your phone in the woods to, I don't know, call your grizzly bear friends and go catch some salmon. But uh, they're encouraging people to now use roaming. And uh, Bell... TELUS, I think TELUS and Rogers are the companies they have agreements with. They make money off of that. Absolutely, and and I, I mean, if they were to offer, I mean, what's what's so interesting about Wynn's proposal is they want to offer unlimited 3G throughout the throughout Canada for a for a flat fee, similar to what they do in the U.S. And it's cheaper for them to roam on T-Mobile in the U.S. And they currently charge thirty nine dollars for an unlimited uh, talk, text, and data plan for both the U.S. and Canada. Um, but the data in Canada is limited to their home zones, whereas in the U.S. it's it's limited to basically wherever T-Mobile's network uh, expands, which is pretty pretty much the whole country. Mm -hmm. I mean, in the, in, certainly in the in the in the urban centers. So, yeah, no, I mean, what one only hopes uh, the, the regulatory. Um, I mean, they changed the law. Right, so the rates as it stands right now can't be higher than what the uh, what the average. I think it's the average retail. Someone's going to be pissed that I said that the average retail rate. They basically took the revenues for um, total voice, total text, total data from each of the companies, averaged it together, and divided that by the volume. And so that looks a lot like the average retail rate to me. Um, so when Wind pays uh, for its customer to roam onto, let's say Telus. Chances are it's paying something in the same amount as what a Telus customer, on average, would pay 
to use that data, right? So I, I mean, I think that this it's it, it, we'll see if it pans out. This type of right. This right now, your uh, a la carte price for uh, 500 megs on wind to you to roam on one of its partner networks is $25. So mm -hmm. that's exactly the same as, as what Bell, Rogers, or Telus charges their prepaid customers for uh, for the same amount of data. Uh, I think that's sort of been become the de facto standard for 500 megs of data in Canada is like $25, which is compared to parts of the UK and, and certainly or it's parts of Europe and, and certainly in the U.S. on, on, on companies like Sprint and Timo are is much more expensive. It's a ripoff. So yeah, um, so I, we don't have a lot of time left. I, I want to sort of touch on a couple of things before we go. Um, what are your thoughts on Chatter, Ben? Because I'm I'm not Chatter, sorry, Public Mobile and Telus's rebranding of this as a cooperative wireless provider. But um, more to the point, it's one of the first carriers that, that's offering um, uh, data-only LTE plans um, with a phone number. So they, they'll they give you a phone number, but you won't have to make, you won't be able to make phone calls or send text messages. You can just well, use you it can, you do it as a prepaid rate. Exactly. Yeah, I think, I mean, the Bell and the Tel Bell, Rogers and Telus have all been offering similar type plans already. They've just called them tablet plans, but you can take the, you can take the SIM card and stick it into a, uh, stick it into a phone. So I know Dan Meisner uh, has got a blog post up about how he he's been doing this for a while. Yeah. Right. But, Basically, um, if you have a buddy working at any of the major carriers, you can get it set up pretty easily. I've I've done it before. It's it's great. So yeah, yeah. I mean, so that's that's one way to do it. But you do play, you know you don't give out the number because if you pay prepaid rates. So, so like twenty five cents a minute for voice and uh, and I I don't know what it is for the text messages. Right. Well, the, the, well, the best thing to do is to you just set up uh, either auto-forwarding or blocking uh, incoming calls okay. to prevent yourself from doing that. Um, and you can then rely so, on data-based uh, call and text uh, apps to, to fill in the blanks. I mostly do now anyway. FaceTime uh, FaceTime's taken over my life. I was at the checkout counter of the OnePlus store the other day. Uh, got an invite in the mail. Was about to buy it. Good price, so on. Doesn't have FaceTime, couldn't do it. Right. Well, there you go. And eventually, if I... I mean, I don't send a lot of text messages today, but if I told everybody with whom I send texts regularly that I want to transition over to, say, WhatsApp or BBM, they would probably be okay with that. I would just have to tell them beforehand. Yeah, um, you, you wouldn't want to get caught uh, text messaging with tumbleweeds. Exactly, right. And and eventually that's going to happen. That's why the transition over to two-year plans brought unlimited text and unlimited voice, not by accident. because so those... it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see whether people pick the $10 texting option with te uh, the public mobile. Right. Yeah, it, it will be. I mean, the fact that they charge $10 a month just for the, the SIM card fee is, is kind of, I don't know, I mean... Sort of, I think it's uh, it's, it's I, I think it's good to see that they're experimenting with unbundled pricing models. I think that's really important because uh, you know the the phone is an expensive part of it, and what essentially what you're doing when you get the subsidized device is taking out a loan that you don't really know the terms for two which you don't really know the terms, right? And I think that that causes a lot of frustration for people. Um, at the end of the day, it's all about for the company. It's all about getting the ARPU up, 
And, but for the customer, you may be paying the same uh, with a finance phone or, uh, and with an unbundled cell phone plan, but if that unbundled cell phone plan doesn't exist, um, you're paying for the phone anyway. And I don't know, it just... I said to the CRTC last year, you know, if there's one thing you could fix it, with, with the wireless market, I said, well, you know, the, the phone is, the price of the phone's hidden up into the service fee and causes all types of problems with cancellations. It makes it look like you're paying a higher monthly bill than what you actually are. Right. Um, and what public, you know, what TELUS is doing, I think, I guess is testing out to see whether people, uh, whether people want these unbundled options. And I think, you know, it's good. Keeping the service price low, the base service price low, um, they would call it a distribution channel. And I would call it not ignoring uh, customers who aren't buying the newest phone every six months, uh, who just want connectivity. And I looked, I mean, I looked on there. It's it's still expensive, right? You're talking about 50 bucks a month for one gigabyte with unlimited uh, unlimited voice, I think. Yeah. Um, I go ahead. Well, I'm just I'm curious what you think about you know sort of the the data price scaling in Canada because it's 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 so nonlinear and and I you know I've wanted to talk to you about this for a while but you know when you see plans start at one gigabyte for twenty dollars and then go up to four gigabytes for fifty dollars uh, you wonder you know this isn't they they argue that it's uh, you know that that spectrum is a finite resource and and these these limitations these um, data Data pools are as a result of their, you know, of their sort of um, network being constrained in many ways. But this, it's such a nonlinear uh, equation that yeah, I'm we wondering. Talked about, we, we talked about price discrimination in the beginning, right? This is the type of price discrimination that apparently is acceptable. You know, uh, I, I don't think it is when you're talking about people paying ten bucks for a hundred megabytes. At the low end of the scale, and what was the number we th we had uh, earlier? It's twenty bucks for one gigabyte or something. Twenty five for five hundred megs usually. Okay, so um, you know, at the bottom end of the scale, you got per unit. If you want to measure the unit as uh, a megabyte or a gigabyte or whatever, I think I think the real measure should be the baseline price of getting service. But that's a different story. Um, if you want to measure by megabyte, you have people on the bottom end, people who might be struggling. Uh, to, to meet their bills, people who are on prepaid and they've got to refill the card every so often and so on, um, paying the highest rates, you know. So okay, so going back to this then, because you said with with the FCC's regulation or, or move to push um, this access, treat it as a utility in the states. You said it was very much basically adopting um, what is already here in Canada without some of the. Uh, Intrinsic uh, like price and competition, mm -hmm. but in Canada we don't treat this stuff as a utility. And just in looking at the way in in which the cost of data changes depending on the package plan and things, what <laughs> what if we did that to heat or water in Canada? Like if we approached the cost of water depending upon like if you have your uh, water bottle share everything plan or like your um, only take showers on Tuesdays, like there would be there would be riots because at a for a utility you expect uh, service uh, paid for at like the amount of use, not fluctuating by time of use, type of use, 
uh, or other elements relating to your your pay of that utility service. So how if we have a regulatory structure that approaches this as a utility, why is all the pricing and the like the uh, context of it not as a utility? Okay, so um, we need to have two things straight here. Um, they, these things are utilities, the phone companies, the cable companies, right? They're utilities and they're common carriers, and they don't like this type of language because it implies regulation. But rate regulation, and the reason that some people are saying don't call Chairman Wheeler's plan utility is because it does come packed in with this idea of onerous regulation um, of micromanaging prices. Right. For instance, if, if I mean, if you want to think about our carriers as regulated as regulated utilities, um, they file tariffs, you know, uh, which means they file for approval for certain types of their services, and the commission grants them permission not to do that in particular cases. Right. The cases that they uh, are not regulated for price are things like uh, internet service. Right, so your home internet service is is not regulated by the choice of the CRTC, and it's it's not entirely choice. There's a formula that determines when they can and can't make this decision. Um, cable TV has at times had regulated prices, right? Um, telephones, most certainly, and when you think about things like uh, the contribution regime for high cost serving areas, so these things most definitely are um, utilities. But the idea is that with a certain amount of limited competition. Um, you get pricing discipline and you encourage the carriers to continually update their uh, networks to experiment with different types of things but it doesn't completely free them from it doesn't completely free them from these social obligations that they have but we're we're always talking about how one carrier makes a move to a certain plan pricing structure uh -huh. and that's it, within a month all the same carriers have the exact same plan structures or they're they're turning them on like like almost within the same week sometimes like so where, you know, I understand the principle of that, but much in that we were saying, hey, Americans, don't worry. It's working fine up here. And they're like, oh, Canada? We're like, we're like competition? Like, it, that's not actually there. Yeah, I know. I mean, the, it, it's a textbook oligopoly, the market, in any given, in any given geographical area for, uh, in particular, home connections, right? You would never really have more, except for the regulatory system for wholesalers, you wouldn't really ever have more choice in between your local telephone company and your local cable company, right? Um, they say this is competitive and it does encourage companies to, in to invest, right? Um, <clears throat> but is it suitable to just turn the companies, like is having two companies or three companies, uh, does that impose suitable market discipline uh, to just turn them loose? say price things however you want like that's the question here I don't it's a loaded question obviously because you know what I, you know what I think the answer is right well I mean what's what's interesting is uh, you know you and I have spoken about this before Ben the consolidation of telcos in the UK um, is not under the same scrutiny as it is in the US largely because the regulatory environment there has already been established and it's it's one of those understood things that once BT buys uh, 3, or is it the other way around? BT buys O2. No, no. Uh, uh, everything 3 buys, buys O2. BT was in the running. Um, that things won't drastically change and prices won't, won't overnight skyrocket in the UK as a result because the regulatory body 
is already fairly um, is already uh, f fairly strict there. Is it, is, it, is it because it's strong, or just it, it has enforced a culture where you do not have them looking to do this? Like, is it is it actually letter to the law would prevent them from doing it, or is it just the 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 culture of not gouging or non non collusion or you know like like what what is it what specific part of their regulation prevents the prices from j being jacked up because I think like there's there's the letter of the law there's the spirit of the law and then there's how that affects there's a long arm of the law right yeah then there's a long arm of, like so like when <laughs> Bell was making the argument against Verizon coming in like whoa we don't need these non Canadian foreign entities coming in and and doing business in Canada that's just wrong and then like that's an insane argument because Bell was that company, but that was also like over a hundred years ago. So well, they... Verizon only Verizon only divested of its interest in Telus in uh, two thousand and four. So and AT and T divested their interest in Rogers when? Uh, yeah, it was around the same time, two thousand, I think maybe. Yeah. Okay. But um, and these are you know that was AT and T with something like thirty percent of uh of Rogers. Cantel or Rogers Wireless, whatever it was called at the time. Right. But um, no, the rate. I mean, there's they don't the Ofcom, right, which is Britain's version of CRTC. Uh, I think it imposes strong conditions when these types of mergers take place, right? So they'll if if something moves forward, um, what I think you'll probably see is Ofcom, uh, being very critical, uh, and very meticulous in ensuring that the wholesale market. Um, for wireless services uh, continues to be open, okay. right? So they haven't had to impose the types of things the CRTC is considering imposing right now. Uh, I, th I think regulated ra roaming, um, but in certain places like in France they have. And as a condition of license, uh, y you might expect to see uh, a divestiture. You know, okay, you guys can, uh, you guys can match up together, but you have to spin off maybe some of your sub-brands or something like that, you know. You have to commit to continuing to give access to companies, and then you would see something like what Industry Canada set up here at conditions of license on the spectrum auctions. Say you have to commercially negotiate roaming, right? Um, they, it's, I wouldn't say what they're doing is heavy-handed, but it's, it's what the regulator is supposed to do, right? They, they need to be agile. And they also need to be looking from a longer, uh, sort of broader view than maybe some uh, fi the financial community or the management of companies are doing. Yeah, and uh, I mean, we'll find out whether the, the CRTC's uh, decision on domestic uh, roaming regulation comes through. When do you expect that decision to come through, Ben? Well, as I understand it, they're working through the talk TV stuff right now. Uh, and I've heard March for some more decisions on that one. Okay. So possibly so, uh, summertime, I would guess. Isn't March also the time that the uh, the auction for uh, AWS three? AWS yeah. Three. yeah. So it's so, going to be a busy year in telecoms. Canadian telecoms is going to be real busy. So we uh, we unfortunately have to uh, end our show there. There's a lot of other stuff that I that I wanted to get to, but maybe we'll have you back in a few weeks to. To go over this uh, in 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 a bit more detail, I, I like these sort of semi-regular regulatory chats. Um, but uh, if you um, if you want to learn more about uh, Ben Class and and his work, uh, where where can they find you, Ben? Oh, I'm on Twitter at Ben Class. 
it's a good way to do it. Or uh, I have a website, bandclass.wordpress.com. Dot com. Got it. And uh, not uh, not that they need to look very hard to find you, but Douglas, where where can they find you on the web? Uh, at Tron, MobileSyrup.com, TheBetaKit.com. Um, not not just, the beta kit, just to be clear. <laughs> sorry, yes, betakit.com. Sorry, I, I got to keep it uh, a little more formal. And then, uh, yeah, wherever you'll wherever you'll find a Raptors game, that's where I'll be. <laughs> uh, and I am Daniel Bader at DirtyDan, MobileSyrup.com. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, thanks so much, Ben. This was uh, really really great. Thanks for uh, finally uh, making it on, and, and we'll have you on again soon. Right on. Well, thanks for having me. Shoutouts, Manitoba. Have a good time. Yeah, and Ottawa. Jeff Rossard, all is forgiven, buddy. Yeah, we love you. All right, cheers, guys. So are you, you're, you're using the the uh, the big mic, right? What does your microphone look like? Sorry, now I'm worried that my microphone is not looking the way that it should. No, 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 it's, it's just literally just pointed straight up like a dick in the air. Yeah, so per- perpendicular to the ground. Correct, perpendicular to the ground. Okay. <laughs> instead of instead of uh, parallel to my face. Face. Jesus, goddamn. Okay, the 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 fuzzy part, the 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 the, the cock part should be pointed straight. Should be straight up in the air. This is what my mic looks like. If you were hitting record, you would have had a really great shot of me just mowing down on the front of that mic. Uh, we are. We're live right now. So, <laughs> all right. Uh, well, I... hi. This is Bachelor Clues from Game of Roses, of course, and I want to talk about Club Med. Everybody knows Club Med has been the pioneer of the all-inclusive resort since 1950, with almost 70 resorts worldwide, ranging from beachside destinations in the Caribbean and Mexico to exotic locations like the Maldives and Morocco or even the mountain destinations like Japan and the European Alps. Dine on delicious gourmet cuisine, enjoy more than 20 activities, and make memories with your family. For more information, visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor.